Can we just give it up one more time for our worship team in general? How many of you guys know? I mean, first of all, you don't have to know anything about music to know that that was ridiculously awesome. But also, how many of you guys know they don't just walk up in here every Saturday and, and all of a sudden just start playing worship music? They dedicate their time and their service. So come on, we can bless our worship team and everything that they do. And also, if we could give it up for our youth as they, we send them out to kid life. If you are a youth, uh, we are, you are dismissed. Come on, we can give it up for them. We can get excited for them. We get excited for our youth every week. We're expectant for our youth every week because we've read the Bible here at the City Life Church, and we're yet to find a scripture where it says you got to be X amount of years old to receive from God. Haven't found it, so we're confident that they're going to receive from God. But as we get ready to receive here, some of you have maybe only been here for a couple weeks or less than a month or like that's... That's not the guy I remember whose name is Fred. That's, that's right. He's got about a head of height on me. I envy him for that, but I've got a full head of hair on him, so I'm sure he envies me for that. So we'll call it even. But uh, Pastor Fred is actually on vacation. He's spending some time with his family, his, his relatives being refueled, refilled, rejuvenated. Come on, we can be praying for him because he is such a gift to not only this church, but really this peninsula, the networking he does, the, the, the work that he does through this church that he challenges us to do, it's amazing. So we can be lifting him up. I can guarantee he's doing two things. One, firing a weapon, probably at a range. Two, he's, I don't know if he's on a boat right now, but I would put hundreds of dollars on the fact that he has been on a boat for hours at some point. Probably not both at the same time. As much as he likes to show swamp people, he's probably not looking to reenact it. But uh, as much as he enjoys both of those things, I can guarantee he is experiencing them. So again, we can pray for him, for that experience for him. Because I just think of at the turn of the year, turn of the calendar year to 2012, he had the vision for the church of living in the gap, which means living our lives between what we can and who he is, which means dreaming so big that it's beyond what we can do, and it's in the gap between what we can do and who God is. And the inspiration for that was Psalm 124.1, which says, if the Lord had not been on our side, it says, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. So we want to say at the end of this year, let the City Life Church say, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would not have reached those dreams because we were dreaming so big. What Pastor Fred so often calls our God-sized dreams. So as our moment of participation tonight, I just want to ask you, what are some dreams you have for your life? They don't have to be deeply personal. It could be something on your bucket list. It could be something you want to accomplish before you leave the earth. What are some dreams you have for your life? April? Going back to Italy, traveling, that's definitely on my list. Hannah, having a family. <laughs> Go ahead. Building a safe house for women and children, that's awesome. Tyler, to, to pastor, come on, come on, that's good. Anybody else? Sandy. The end would be more glorious than the beginning, amen, amen. And I also, before we, we close our moment of participation, I just want to say again, the, the Murthas, we love you guys. I don't know if you guys know, but Revolution Church, which I, I'm now the pastor of, the youth ministry spent years in their house. They would open up their doors, and there were some weeks we had up to 50 kids. We're talking in their living room and dining room. There were nights we would be crowd surfing them, and they'd be kicking the track lighting. I'm talking like just nuts, and yet every week they opened up their doors. He's looking at her like, we didn't know about that. But uh, every week, <laughs> they would open up their doors, 
with a smile on their face and say, here you go. Here's our home for, with which to minister to these kids. And so many dreams, we're talking about dreams, were unlocked in the hearts of youth because of that. So thank you. And just as our moment of, of our giveaway, we do have these RC cookbooks, actually City Life cookbooks. We're doing them to fundraise for Revolution Church. So take this with you. There's a, a little note on the inside, and hopefully that'll bring with you a taste of home. You, come on, give it up for the Murthas. But we talk about the dreams that we have for our lives. And how many of you guys realize that God also has dreams for our lives? David talks about in Psalm 139 that before we were even formed in the womb, God had books full of dreams, plans, purposes for our lives. And then in Psalm 138, David says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Come on, that's something to memorize and make a life verse. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. How many of you have heard those Psalms before? Written by David. David, this, this teenage boy who was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the next king of Israel after King Saul. And you can imagine as a teenage boy being anointed king, he was probably like, all right, I'm king now. Where's my red carpet? Because I'm moving on up, right? <laughs> Where's my throne? Where's the person that's going to fan me with palm leaves? Where's the person that's going to feed me grapes, right? Where's, where's my throne? But what's interesting is he didn't go right from that anointing to the throne. He actually entered into 10 years, almost a, a decade of affliction, of difficulties, people out to murder him, of just struggle. So that raises the question, and the question I want to look at tonight, a question no doubt Many times we've asked ourselves as we pursue what God has for us, what do you do when the pursuit of your God-sized dreams takes a detour in the desert? And when I talk about the desert, I'm talking about when you step boldly into you know, you know the calls and purposes God has for your life, and you step faithfully, you step boldly out to pursue those, and you're not met with all of a sudden the divine provision and blessing of God, but you're met with difficulty. You're met with discouragement. You're met with obstacles. What do you do in those seasons? Because they happen to all of us. Maybe something's prophesied over your life. Maybe you receive a word from God over your life and you step out to pursue it, but you're not met with victory after victory after victory immediately. You're met with discouragement and obstacles. What do you do? Well, I want to turn to a, a passage sandwiched in the middle of the books of Kings, and it's in 2 Kings 3, verses 9 through 20. And it says... As I stroll back to the podium, the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Essentially, he was Elijah's personal servant. So Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. So pause. Why is Elisha being so trifling? Why is he being rude? Because this king of Israel... His name is Joram. He's the son of King Ahab, the most evil king, it says in the Bible, that Israel ever had. And it says that Joram did a little better, but when your father sets the bar that low, it's not saying much. Joram was still leading Israel into idolatry, leading them away from God. So Elisha's like, what are you coming to me for? Why don't you go to your idols? 
But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. But now bring me a harpist. He's like, I'm all worked up now. Bring me somebody to play some worship music and calm me down. And it says, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. I'm going to stop interrupting myself, but you might ask, why do we emphasize worship so much at the City Life Church? Why do we do it every week? Because when the music is playing, the hand of the Lord can move. We believe that. And it says, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Hear this. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So in this story, we've got three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they're going out against the king of Moab and the Moabites. Now, I don't like math. I broke it to R.C., a couple weeks ago, they think I'm younger than I am. It's been over a decade since I took a math class, and I'm perfectly cool with that. I'm happy with that. But I play enough sports. I play enough basketball to realize that when it's three against one, you're primed for victory. You know, you're set up to succeed when it's three against one. But these three kings in their army, they ran out of water. Now, <laughs> you'll very quickly find out your limits of what we can do when you run out of water. They ran into this difficult desert season. And let me explain. Sometimes you can enter into these difficult seasons of life because of disobedience. Again, we talk about King Joram, king of Israel, and the fact that he was leading Israel into idolatry. He was forsaking God. He ended up in this desert season because he was disobedient. But how many times in our lives are we praying about something and we hear God say, you know, wait on that relationship. You know, wait on that endeavor or don't go after that endeavor. And yet we do it anyway. We can put ourselves in difficult situations, desert seasons, because we're disobedient to the Word of God. And then also, you can just straight up be ignorant. <laughs> Lack of diligence. In this story, uh, King Joram goes to King Jehoshaphat, and he's like, we're going to go roll on the king of Moab. You want in? And Jehoshaphat, you don't hear him say, oh, well, let me pray to God. Let me, let me consult the prophets. Let me uh, do my due diligence and seek counsel and see what God might say. No, he just says, all right, I'm in. And he ends up in this desert situation just simply because of lack of diligence. And if we're honest tonight, all of us, myself included, have gone into seasons of life that were difficult because either we were disobedient or we lacked diligence. We didn't seek the word of God. But maybe tonight you would say, well, then I must be sitting pretty because I'm faithfully following God. Hopefully that's most of us here tonight. We would say I'm being obedient to God, so I must have nothing to worry about. But what about when God leads us into desert seasons? You see, in Matthew 4.1, it says that Jesus, the Son of God, was led by the Spirit, who is God, into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. Matthew 4.1. And then it says in Exodus 13.18 that God led the people, his people, the Israelites, around by the desert road. And then we also see Elijah. Again, Elisha was Elijah's personal servant. I have kids come to me all the time. Why are their names so close? I don't know. Save that question for God. It's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for all of us. But Elisha was Elijah's servant. And again, Elijah 
confronted King Ahab, Joram's father, because he was disobedient, because he was forsaking God. And he said, because of this, because you've led Israel into sin, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be a drought. And he turns the entire nation of Israel, God's people, into a desert. They enter into a desert season. And for a time, we see him fed at a brook by ravens, miraculously by God. And then all of a sudden, the brook dries up that he had been drinking from. Why did it dry up? Because he was obedient and faithful to God in calling no rain for Israel. God can lead us into these seasons. And then we come to Elisha. I love Elisha. I think he's underrated because he was Elijah's servant. And then as Elijah's about to go meet God, he's like, hey, I want a double portion of what you had. Now, as our youth would say, that takes some swag. That takes some swagger. That takes some confidence to say, I want a double portion of what Elijah had. He had confidence. He realized that we're not supposed to be given to a spirit of timidity, but of power, and he walked in power. Everywhere he went, it seems, in the beginning of 2 Kings, miracles followed him. So many of them paralleling the miracles of Jesus. He heals a leper, a leper, wow, not the cat, a leper, the sick. He raises somebody from the dead. He feeds hundreds of people from 20 loaves of bread, all of them paralleling the miracles that Jesus would at one time do. I love him. But as underrated as I think he is, he was definitely underappreciated in his day. Because how many of you guys know if the king and the nation doesn't care what God has to say, they're not necessarily going to care for his mouthpiece. They're not going to care for his prophets. So Elisha was, for all intents and purposes, rejected by society. But scholars say he was probably with the army because prophets, they say, would travel with the king and his army because they were God's voice to the king and that nation. So chances are Elisha was pitching his tent with this army. But it wasn't as a chaplain. It wasn't as some respected minister. It was as an outcast. And yet one morning, three kings come knocking at his door. Come on, we're talking about parallels there. There's another one. And they ask him for help. Come on, maybe it seems like you've been toiling, you've been working, you've been doing your due diligence, and, and you just seem like you can't earn any respect. You can't earn the favor of God. But you know what? God keeps the books God sees all the work you're doing, and he knows how to honor his servants in due season. So he's got three kings knocking on his tent, and they're like, help us, because they've run out of water. And again, no matter what you're trying to do, if you run out of water, you run out of hydration, you're in trouble. How many of you guys have seen those Gatorade commercials they came out with a couple years ago, where it basically explains how Gatorade was invented? Anybody familiar with these? Anybody who watches ESPN for any amount of time has seen these. But uh, it basically explains how in 1966, Florida, the University of Florida football team, they were good. They were, they were stocked with good players, but they were losing because they weren't getting properly hydrated. So a professor, a doctor there realized this, and he invented this drink, which they called Gatorade because it's the Florida Gators. I never realized that until this commercial. Knowing is half the battle. But he invents this drink in 1966. By 1967, Florida goes on to win the national championship. They win the Orange Bowl. You're happy. I know Tim Rogers somewhere. Near. Yep, there he is. He's happy. He's slapping his hands together like an alligator. But in 1967, I'm not sure if they won one since. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, they win the national championship. They beat Georgia Tech. And you've got these world-class athletes, these world-class coaches, and they're interviewing Bobby Dodd, the Georgia Tech coach at the time. You know, what's your explanation? You know, you expect him to say, well, I just got outcoached. We got outclassed. What's his excuse? No, we didn't have Gatorade. That made the difference. And I'm like, 
It's a head scratcher. I'm like, are you serious? You have world-class athletes, some of the best trained college athletes, scholared athletes that people were coveting out of high school, and they're playing for you, and your excuse is they didn't have Gatorade. But you realize in our walk spiritually, we can train ourselves, we can build ourselves up, we can make ourselves strong, but as it says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can position yourself, you can strategically strengthen yourself, but apart from God, you can do nothing. Only he can send the rain. Only he can send water, which is in Scripture so often is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by the Spirit of God that we accomplish great things. So that's the, the situation of these three kings. They're stuck in the desert, and they're looking for rain. In Job 38, 28, it says, does the rain have a father? Who fathered the drops of dew? In Jeremiah 5, 24, it says, let's fear the Lord our God who gives the rain both early and late in its season who guarantees to us the fixed weeks of the harvest. You see, again, without water, without the Holy Spirit, growth and a harvest is impossible. And physically, that's why we see so many civilizations built throughout history planted next to bodies of water. And it's no different with the Nile River and Egypt. That's on Steph's bucket list. She wants to go to Egypt at some point, see the pyramids, see the Sphinx. I'm like, I married the right person. I'm down for that. We'll do that later. It's probably not going to happen in the next couple of years, but that's on our bucket list. We want to go see Egypt because that was an amazing, notable civilization in the history of the world. But without the Nile River, it just would have been an extension of the Sahara Desert. There would have been nothing there without water. The Greek historian Herodotus says that Egypt was the gift of the Nile. Without the Nile, Egypt would have long been extinct. And just like that, these three kings, without the spirit, without the blessing, without the water coming from God, they were going to face their own extinction. And I'll get back to the Nile in a bit. But sometimes God can take us out of our Nile comforts and our Nile securities and lead us into desert seasons. And again, sometimes that's because of disobedience or lack of diligence. But at other times, you can be faithfully serving him obedient to God to the best of your abilities, and yet you enter into just a season of difficulty. You lose your job. You get a diagnosis over your health. Your marriage gets flipped upside down. Your kid goes and does something that gets him in trouble. Just a season of difficulty, and it's not because of your lack of faithfulness. It's because God's leading you through it. What do you do in these seasons? I want to look at three things. They all start with an R. Come on, I'm trying to make it easy for you guys. You note takers, they're all going to start with R. You can just write down three R's. But I want to look at three things. And the first is remember. You got to remember God's faithfulness. Elisha, again, was Elijah's personal servant. He would have remembered the story of Elijah. And when you read through 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, again, he confronts King Ahab for leading Israel into sin. And even as he turns all of Israel into a desert, God miraculously provides for him. He has ravens feeding him next to this brook. And then after three plus years, when Elijah prays for rain, the rain comes. Come on, Elisha would have looked back on this and remembered the faithfulness of God. And we too can look back on it. In James 5.17, it says that Elijah was a man just like you and I. When we read through the Bible, we see the faithfulness of God. We see God working faithfully in people's lives. These were men and women just like us, flesh and blood. And the same way he was faithful to them, he'll be faithful to us. We can't let today's challenge overwhelm the memory of God's past faithfulness. 
David says in Psalm 77, 12, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And some of you guys might say, well, that's easy to write down, but did he walk it out? Yeah, he did. If you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, what did he say when he faced him? He said, God's delivered me from the paw of the lion. He's delivered me from the paw of the bear, and he's going to deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. He realized that God's never going to leave you, and he's never going to forsake you. He didn't forsake you in your past. He's not going to forsake you in your future. He's led you to green pastures in your yesterdays. He's going to lead you to green pastures in your tomorrows. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you, and nothing can separate you from the providential provision of God. We can't let today's challenge overwhelm the memory of God's past faithfulness. We got to remember. Secondly, we got to receive. You see, in the desert, sometimes it's easier for us to receive direction. You see, a desert's a place of extremes where your decisions become extremes. You've got a couple options, do this or die. <laughs> sometimes it's easier to receive direction in the desert. It's interesting, in Luke 3, 2, it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, a.k.a. John the Baptist, in the desert. Sometimes he speaks to us in the desert. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for Desert is midbar. It also means wilderness. It's used most commonly in the book of Exodus. As God led the Israelites through the wilderness and through the desert to their promised land. The key word there is led. God led them through it. Because the root word of midbar is devar, which means to lead. The same way you would lead cattle to a pasture. You see, when God leads you into a wilderness season, a desert season, he's leading you through it. He's not going to leave you there. He's not going to forsake you. He wants to lead you into that season so you can receive something from him. But you got to realize receiving is active. It's active. I mean, football analogies are flowing tonight like water. I apologize. The NBA season just ended. The NBA draft was the other night. All I have to look forward to now is the opening of football. When it comes to sports, I have other things to have hope in. But sports-wise, all I got to look forward to now is, is the beginning of football. But in football... There are wide receivers. I should, I should preach this to my wife because I'm still trying to teach her the ins and outs. But wide receivers, <laughs> wide receivers line up every play and run a route. And they expect the ball. But they might go six, a dozen, two dozen plays running routes without receiving the ball. But that doesn't stop them. They just keep faithfully running their route, and eventually the ball comes to them. Again, like Elisha, you might feel like you've been running routes faithfully. You're waiting on the ball to be delivered. Don't worry. It's coming. God will deliver, but you've got to faithfully receive. Just like Franco Harris did, the immaculate reception. Come on, I know we got Steelers fans in the house. But even if you were a Ravens fan and somebody asked you to make the top 10 catches in NFL history, you'd still have to, out of respect, put this in there. Maybe you'd put it at 10 instead of like two or three where it should be, but this is one of the greatest catches in NFL history. And it, w it happened in an AFC championship game, probably one of the ugliest games. If it wasn't a championship game, people probably would have turned it off because in the first 59 minutes, no touchdowns were scored. That's 59 minutes out of 60, no touchdowns. With one minute left, Oakland finally scored, so I'm sure most people were like, oh, game over. Pittsburgh hasn't scored all game. They're not going to score now. And Franco Harris in this picture, he's a fullback. He's not a wide receiver. He's not running the go routes. He's not going 10, 20 yards downfield. Most of the game, he's blocking and then kind of going in the flat like, hey, over here if you need me. Yeah, I'm over here. I'm actually open now. But no, he's looking downfield. He's firing downfield. So with a minute left, of course, they're not looking to dump it off in the flat to their slow fullback. So Terry Bradshaw's back. He fires it downfield to a receiver. And right as the ball gets there, the receiver just gets clobbered. Ball goes flying back 12, 15 yards, a ridiculous amount of space. And who's there? 
Franco Harris because he kept running his routes, because he kept faithfully going where he needed to be. And all of a sudden, ball landed in his breadbasket, only through what could have been divine providence. <laughs> and he took it. He runs it in for a touchdown. They win the game. It ends four decades of futility for the Pittsburgh franchise. They go on to win four Super Bowls that, that decade. I mean, when you faithfully are active, waiting to receive, eventually <laughs> your defeats will turn into victories. You'll receive what you need from God. You've just got to receive and be active because you got to realize God gives us some blessings simply because he loves us, but he gives us other blessings because we position ourselves to receive them. So you remember, you receive, but it's not enough to just receive. We got to respond. This is the response the Israelites get from God through Elisha. This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. They weren't just called to wait for the water. Faith doesn't just wait for the water. Faith gets active digging ditches. I think of, of Habakkuk when he says, receive the vision, but write it down on tablets so that you can run with it. Imagine if Franco Harris caught that ball and didn't run anywhere with it. The Steelers still probably lose. They never get out of futility. They, he simply falls on the ground. That's catastrophic. That's not a miracle. That's not an immaculate reception. You've got to receive the vision and run with it. You've got to respond. Because you see, to just receive vision and do nothing with it, that doesn't make you a visionary. That makes you a daydreamer. We don't need daydreamers. We need ditch diggers. Come on, we've got to take the word of God, receive it, and respond. See, these desert seasons, they can either discourage or stir courage. They can either break your faith or fortify your faith. Charles Spurgeon has been wrecking my world recently, and he's got a, a term he uses, a holy covetousness of the divine blessing. You're so certain of it that God's promises are yes and amen, that you covet it. You go after it hard. You see, there's an aspect of faith that's certainty. It's being sure of what you hope for and certain of the things you don't see. And you know what? When you're certain of it, you can act on it. You don't have to wait for any more assurance because you're certain of those things that you might not see. I talked about the Nile River. Without it, Egypt wouldn't have ex existed. But every year, the Nile would flood, each and every year, without fail, so much so that the Egyptians built their calendar around it. There was a season of Peret, which was the sowing time, Shamu, which was the harvest time, and Aket, which was the flood time. Hopefully nobody knows Egyptian, because I could have just butchered those three words. But during the harvest time and flood time, farmers off the Nile River would dig ditches. And they would dig them long, and they would dig them wide, and they would dig as many ditches as possible because they knew the flood was coming. And with the water came silt and fertilizer, and the more they dug and the bigger their ditches were, the more of that they would receive. And this speaks to what we do in the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to move, but the Spirit of God works most where we work most. We're going to see the Spirit of God move most where we prepare for it the most. Again, God wants to give you blessings that are simply because he's a good God, because he's a giver of good gifts. But there are other blessings, other portions that he gives us because we prepared ourselves to receive them, because we got the faith that's certain of the things unseen, and we're certain enough of it to act on it. But you've got these soldiers. They come out into this desert. They didn't bring shovels. They probably, you know, they got their armor, they got helmets, they got shields, swords, and then their kings come to them and say, hey, start digging ditches. Not just a couple ditches, not just a few ditches, but make the valley full of ditches. <laughs> Tyler and I were working on my car yesterday for hours on the parking lot of uh, 
Hampton Town Center. Thank you, Tyler. Showed a lot of love, but we're, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, this is like what a desert feels like. On the asphalt, 105 plus on the heat index. We're there for hours, Tyler slaving over my car. I'm there with him trying to look intelligent. But uh, I'm just thinking, man, this is what the desert feels like. And you've got these soldiers. They don't have shovels. They're probably digging with their helmets, their shields with two hands. I don't know, their bare hands. I don't know if you can use a, a sword to shovel without taking off your leg. But they were shoveling any way possible. And I'm sure in the heat, a couple of them. Maybe a few of them asked, well, wouldn't our energy be better spent if, you know, we're about to fight a battle, defend our, our very lives. Wouldn't our energy be better spent fighting? You know, we're digging these ditches for water. I mean, I realize I need to be hydrated, but I also want to be able to defend myself with some level of energy when somebody comes at me with a sword, right? But this speaks to preparation. There's this great quote by Abe Lincoln that says, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend four hours sharpening the axe. If I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend four sharpening the axe. See, there are some battles that we will never win if we don't faithfully obey the direction of God. Not just how we want to prepare for our battles, but how God directs us, the, what we receive from God to prepare for our battles. If we don't obey that, we might be swinging at a tree like we're Paul Bunyan, but we're getting no progress. Why? Because we never prepared ourselves. We never sharpened the axe. We never did the work God called us to to prepare. We've got to dig ditches. How many of you guys saw uh, or remember the show VH1 used to do behind the music? Anybody? I mean, anybody from like Nas to Gwen Stefani to Garth Brooks, these musicians who reached the heights of, of celebrity, of what the world would define success. And you watch these shows thinking, oh, at some point they probably got a handout, right? You know, to, to, to re go that far, somebody probably, you know, blessed them out of the blue. But no, a lot of these people came from tough situations and worked their butts off to get where they were. They were digging ditches. They did the work to get there. How many of you guys have heard of Stephen Furtick and uh, the Elevation Church down in North Carolina? Large church. In the last decade, they were one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. They did this documentary, which had the feel of a VH1 behind the music, that was like an hour long. They released it last year. Nate's not here, so I can put him on the spot. He owns it. Ask him for it. Start blowing up his phone right now. No, just kidding. But uh, you see in this documentary, yes, they reached 10,000 people at an Easter service within five years, but it wasn't just handed to them. There were moments where they wanted to quit. There were moments where they were unsure. There were moments where they fell on their face. There were failures, but they kept digging ditches, and then five years later, they were reaching thousands. But it wasn't just handed to them. I think of Mark Batterson. Anybody ever heard of him? One of my favorite authors wrote, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. He talks about it in that book, and he talks about it in a couple others. He had a 50-page plan for his first church plant that he spent years on. He had every step planned out. And then when he goes to plant the church, it quickly flops. It fails. So he enters into a desert season of defeat, and he's wondering, what the mess? But he keeps digging ditches. And now he's a pastor of a three-campus church up in D.C. He's writing books like In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, Circle Maker, these books that are speaking to millions. But it's because he dug ditches. You know, sometimes we as churches might envy these other ministries. Sometimes we as people might envy these other people. But there's this great quote by Adam Thomason. Even if the grass is greener, you still have to cut it. You can't escape diligence and hard work. Guys, we cannot escape ditch digging. We can't escape the work of preparation. We've got to put in the work. There's this great quote. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what a tweet looks like. Welcome to the 21st century. Some of you are wondering why is there a little blue bird on this slide? 
That is a tweet. That's from Twitter.com. And Stephen Furtick sent out this tweet. It says, one reason, this is profound, listen up, we struggle with insecurity is we're comparing our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. We're comparing our digging ditches to everyone else's mountaintop moment when we forget that they spent years, they spent so much time digging ditches, doing the work of preparation, but we get stuck while we're digging ditches thinking, man, if we were only that church, you know, who had all that and did all that, or that person with all those anointings and gifts, but no, they, they dug ditches. We can struggle with that as, as a church, a ministry. We can struggle with that individually. One of the things that frustrates me to no end is when you hear people say, I you know, I admire Pastor Fred, or youth would say, I admire Cord, I admire David, but I'll never get to that level. You know, I'll never get there. What they fail to realize is that they dug ditches to get there. They did the work of preparation to get there. And some of them realize that it's that, but they put on this mask of humility when really it's just an unwillingness to do the hard work to get there. All of us can get there. I'm talking to youth who are like, I can never get to Pastor Fred's level. Pastor Fred didn't start following God till his 20s. If you start now at 16, come on, think about where you're going to be when you're Fred's age. Come on, there's no limit. There's no limit. We simply have to do the work of digging ditches so we can prepare the ground for what God wants to send our way. But we look at these teachers, these pastors, these Pastor Freds. We listen to their podcasts. We listen to their sermons every week. Maybe listen to a little Carl Lentz, a little Judah Smith. And we wait for that, that one sermon that's all of a sudden going to flip the switch. All of a sudden, you know, we struggle with our spiritual disciplines. I, I struggle praying. I struggle reading the Word. But you know what? All of a sudden, I'm going to hear a sermon, and all of a sudden, ta-da, I'm there. We watch so many Disney movies with frogs becoming princes and, and be beasts becoming men again and, and mermaids becoming women and puppets becoming boys. We've watched so many of these Disney movies. We think that all of a sudden in our walk with Christ, we're going to have this transformational moment. Like, oh. You're going to spin and be lifted off the ground at the altar, and you're going to come back down, and you're exactly where you need to be with God. But Galatians 6, 9 says that God's not going to be mocked. You reap what you sow. You want to get to that next level. You want to break that glass ceiling. You've got to get to the work of preparation. You've got to get to the work of, of sowing the ground, digging ditches, being ready to receive. We talk at the City Life, so, City Life Church so often about the 12 pathways. Those are 12 ditches we could be digging. You could call them 12 ditches, but that sounds morbid. It sounds like you're digging a mass grave. So we'll stick with 12 pathways because they're getting you somewhere. They're getting you to that next level. You know, we talk about prayer, fasting, worship, the word, gathering, relationship, accountability, reaching, resting, serving. I got two more. Generosity and stewardship. 12 ways that we can grow. Ditches that we can dig if we want to grow. And then last week, just as a church, Pastor Fred was leading a, a, a vision session, we'll call it, a vision meeting after the service. How many of you guys know you go to a great church, if you're at a, a vision meeting going over numbers, what you got to do, and there's, there's, there's teary eyes, there's prophetic moments, there's people saying amen. I mean, it was awesome. But he laid out four areas that we needed to step up if we're going to grow in, as a church. And one of them was the ditch of giving. Come on, we talk about the faith promise. We've talked about it for weeks. This idea that we've already dug the ditch of financially securing our own security. We've already dug the ditch of our tithes. We've dug the ditch of our offerings, but we're digging another ditch that's wide and deep saying, you know what? I believe that the blessings of God are good enough that he can fill this ditch on top of the other ones, and I can give that to the church. It's the ditch of giving. 
Another ditch was the ditch of serving. Come on, you can't podcast that meeting after that service, but you can podcast Pastor Fred's sermon last week, which was awesome. He spoke on service and just how God's painting a picture in Scripture of service. We received our salvation because of the service and selflessness of Jesus Christ. If we want to see people receiving salvation in our church, it's going to be through our service and selflessness serving the church. we got to dig the ditch of service. Then there's the ditch of reaching. Can I be real with you guys? This church did not grow because Pastor Fred spends all week inviting people to church. No, there's, there's other people who say, you know what, I want to dig the ditch of reaching, which is what we call evangelism. You know, the church grew because we've got David and Hannah Godwins, Kevin and Lynette Tullys. We've got Amanda Nowatney's. We've got all these people who say, you know what, I want to dig a ditch of reaching because I want to see my church grow. And then his last of the four was the ditch of prayer. Come on, Jesus said you have not because you ask not. We don't want to be a church that doesn't have because we didn't ask. We're about to enter into another Olympic season, another Olympic event, and you're going to see stories of, of these athletes that in high school wake up at like four in the morning to beat everyone else to either the racetrack or the ice rink so they can perfect their craft without anybody getting in the way. Some of you might say that, that sounds like desperation. You know, like they're desperate to succeed. Yeah, they're desperately hungry to succeed. Are you desperately hungry for, for that next level, for what you're seeking God for, for that God-sized dream for yourself and for the church? If you're that desperate, you know, waking up at 6.30 is nothing compared to 4 in the morning. Waking up on Friday at a 6.30 to pray for your church, the people around you. Come on, we got to be digging a ditch of prayer. And then lastly, I would add to those four, he didn't hit on this one, but a, a ditch of expectation. Come on, James 1.6 says, when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. We got to dig out the doubt. We got to replace it with the certainty of faith. Come on, believing with certainty that God is going to move. If I could have the, the worship team come up as we prepare to close. We talked about it earlier. We've all got God-sized dreams. But if we want to see God move on this peninsula through this church, it's going to take digging ditches. If we want to see people being added to the church daily, like it was in the book of Acts, it's going to take digging ditches. If you want to see your, your, your walk with God break through that glass ceiling and get to that next level of relationship with him, it's going to take digging ditches. And if you want to be a, a vessel like Paul speaks to Timothy of that God can use for every good work that can reach the people around us, it's going to take digging ditches. It's going to take preparation. It's going to take the hard work. You can see, because sometimes it is about not only us, but others. Sometimes we go through these desert seasons because we're going to have the opportunity to share with others. What Elisha didn't realize when he was in his desert season is that right on the other side of it, the very next chapter of Kings, he meets a widow who's in her own desert season, whose husband just died, whose creditor is coming to her for payments, and all she's got to pay with is this scant, small amount of oil in this jar. And the word that Elisha receives from God from her, for her is the same word he received for Israel and himself in the desert— that you, you got to get jars. You don't want to just get a few. You want to get many. You want your house full of jars the same way that desert was full of ditches. We just got to trust that when we go through these mid-var seasons, that God is leading us. He's Devar. He's leading us. He's our good shepherd. He's going to lead us through those desert seasons into green pastures. But when we're in them, come on, you got to dig ditches. Come on, you got to have the faith that says, I have a holy covetousness of the divine blessing. I want to live in the gap 
between what I can do and who God is. I want to dream that big regardless of what season I'm in. There's this great quote by Jensen Franklin. It says, when you give God what you've got, he will give you what he's got. And that makes your odds unbeatable. So I want to ask you questions tonight. What God-sized dream are you dreaming for? And newsflash, you can have more than one. You can have a dream for yourself. You can have a dream for your church. You can have a dream for your marriage. You can have a dream for your children. What's the God-sized dreams that you're holding on to? And if you're in a desert season, if you're in a good season or a bad season, what are the ditches you're digging? Maybe it's a ditch of accountability for yourself. Maybe it's a ditch of generosity. Maybe it's a ditch of simply more prayer. But what spades should we be shouldering? What ditches should we be digging? And we're going to open up the altar. We're going to have prayer teams on each side because I want to open it up to a, to a time of worship. Because as I'm reading this verse, God spoke to me. When I read, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. You know, there are times in worship when we can receive from God. And I believe that at this altar, in prayer, people tonight are going to receive a word from God because they're in a time of need and they got faith and they're hungry to hear from him. Sometimes it simply takes getting up out of our seat, not only receiving, but responding, actively receiving from God. Come on, let's actively receive tonight the word of God, which he has for every one of us. Come on, the giver of good gifts. He wants to speak to us tonight. But before we go into worship, I want to read Hosea 10, 12. It said, it's time to till the ready earth. It's time to dig in with God until he arrives with righteousness ripe for the harvest. Let's worship.
says he turns deserts into pools of water the dry land into springs of water he brings the hungry to settle there and build their cities they sow their fields plant their vineyards and harvest their bumper crops how he blesses them Lord God I thank you for the hunger that's in hearts tonight Lord God I thank you that as you say in Matthew 5 8 that you will bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that they will be filled. They might be in a desert season now, but just as you spoke to Elisha, it's an easy thing for you, Lord God, to act on our behalf. Lord God, would you remind us that in your word, you call us conquerors. You call us overcomers. 
So often we can be like Gideon who sees himself as a nobody, but when he asks other people, they see him as a prince. They see him as a warrior, Lord God. You see us as overcomers, and you never send anything our way through your providence that we can't handle. Lord God, we can do all things through you who give us strength. Lord God, would you give us the strength to shoulder the spade, to carry that shovel that we need to use to dig those ditches of faith. Lord God, faith, faithfully, courageously, faithfully, digging those ditches, knowing, Lord God, certain that you're going to show up because you're a good God. Lord God, because you send the rain when it's time for a harvest. Lord God, we thank you for the harvest that's in this church's future. Lord God, we thank you for the harvest that's in our lives' future. Lord God, that next level that we are yet to reach. Lord God, we claim that harvest in faith because we know that you're going to send the rain. We're going to position ourselves. We're going to build ourselves up. We're going to do what we can in your strength, and then we're going to ask for your Holy Spirit to come and do what only it can do, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we can pray that just like Elisha, a man just like you and I. Lord God, and you answer and you respond because you're faithful. Lord God, we thank you for everything that you want to do in us and through us. And we say to it, yes and amen. If you're receiving prayer, if you're praying, continue. But if not, we'll see you next week.